0: They say there's no good news, no, there's no good news. Hello everybody. This is me Shay and I, and I am here with my co-host, AKA the canine who doesn't want to be identified. Any controversial material in this show has come from her. Any concerns, complaints, or criticism should be directed to her. So, we are here to talk about toxic culture at the LA Times. Let's go. In 2018, when Patrick soon shiong bought the LA Times, people thought it was going to be a new era. Before him, the paper had been dogged by scandals resignations, staff cuts, and budget cuts. Listen to how KTLA anchor Frank Buckley described the situation. Um,
1: the LA Times has had three editors in 10 months, five publishers in four years. And when you stepped into that newsroom before your, your, the, the employees who now work at the LA Times under your ownership, you received a standing ovation. I think there's a lot of expectation and hope in you. And, and I just wonder, is what has the reaction been in your interactions on a one-to-one basis with some of these journalists who have felt like they didn't have the proper leadership over the past few years?
0: Okay. I want you to listen to the question one more time, because I want to make sure we're on the same page.
1: I think there's a lot of expectation and hope in you. and mm-hmm. And I just wonder... Is, what has the reaction been in your interactions on a one-to-one basis with some of these journalists who have felt like they didn't have the proper leadership over the past few years?
0: Okay now listen to Sun Shung's response.
2: You know I've, I've met one-on-one with the, a lot of these journalists um, um, and as I said, I see journalists very much like what the scientists that I have in my organization and I spent 25 years with scientists that they have the joy for discovery. And they also have the joy for the truth. They also have the joy for publishing. So if you look at that, that's the passion. So these journalists are there not because of money. They actually are there because they love doing what they do. And I don't think people recognize that or have had the leadership to provide that. Norm Pilstein, who has come on board, has not just been a story and almost a legend in journalism understands um, them deeply so we are on the hunt for great editorial stuff you're absolutely right the leadership um, has deteriorated
0: okay did that sound like an answer to the question to you the topic switched from leadership to scientists to whether writers are motivated by money Then it shifted to Pearlstein, who wasn't even in the conversation, and went further off topic, praising him as being near legendary. At the time, it was probably easily overlooked and forgotten, but some of those off topic issues and the habit of sidestepping the matter at hand, they reached a boiling point last month, and that's what we're here to talk about. That Buckley interview was in July, 2018. Soon Sean closed the deal for the paper in June. And it's interesting that he went on record saying Pearlstein deeply understood his staff so early on. Pearlstein is the LA Times executive editor. He's the head honcho in the papers day-to-day operations. If he understood his staff so well, then he knew there was a toxic culture at the paper. He knew that white journalists, especially men, were paid more than their colleagues. And there were concerns in the newsroom and the community about the lack of diversity. He knew there were concerns about what the paper chose to cover or not and how it was covered. And he knew the LA Times was catering to white readers when most of L.A. isn't white. And since these problems continued under his leadership, it's not surprising that last month, as racial tension hit a high point at the paper, during a staff meeting, Pearlstein was asked if he would step down. According to the New York Post, he won't. Like so many people in positions of power, good old Norm is acting like he's just getting a true grasp on the situation. And he's doing that thing where he appears to be listening and getting educated, that thing where he admits there are big problems, ingrained problems. But at the end of that deep dive, he comes up fair with nothing. Do you know that thing where there's a willingness to entertain the conversation, but then there's no action afterward? If not, I'm going to show you. You'll see there's an ugly pattern at the LA Times. But before we unpack what went down under the leadership of this near legend, Norm Perlstein, let me give you a little background. Soon Shong is a Chinese immigrant and a multi billionaire. Forbes described him as the richest doctor in the world. He's highly respected, well connected, and two years ago, he bought the LA Times. Let him tell it, the paper is not so much a money-making venture. He bought it because he has a profound respect for journalism and the role that media plays in society. As I said, when he bought the paper, it was already a hot damn mess, and the problems were long running. So soon, Sean was viewed as a breath of fresh air. Under this guy, the LA Times would be locally owned instead of run by a corporation in Chicago somewhere. He had the money to invest in journalism and he was willing to spend it. Plus, he was saying all the right things. He was all about adding more females and bringing on people of color. From the very beginning, he came in with a commitment to create a more diverse workplace. But that plan started to fizzle real fast. Vice published an article this month, July 2020. In it, Soon Sean claims he personally attempted to recruit top tier talent like journalists Marty Barron and Dean Baquette to run the paper, but they weren't interested. Initially, Pearlstein was Soon-Shong's advisor, but Pearlstein claimed he couldn't find anyone interested in leading the paper either. Everyone with a real reputation to stake thought the paper was too far gone and didn't want to be associated with it, allegedly. So according to Vice, Pearlstein told Soon-Shong they shouldn't rush. They should take their time get familiar with the staff. So when Soon-Shong closed the deal for the paper, Pearlstein took the executive editor job, but he took it fully aware that his main objective was to build a diverse succession team. In fact, Soon-Shong told Vice he was quote, very impressed by good old Norm's commitment to diverse hiring and overcoming bias. Now, I'm not down for discrimination by age, race, ethnicity, religion, none of that. If you can do a job, you can do a job. But once you know who can do a job, the next step is to think about who will do it best, right? Then, of the people who can do it, you have to figure out who is going to do it. And I really can't see Pearlstein being the prime pick to build a diverse dream team. He was a 75-year-old Jewish guy. His media background includes working with companies like the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, which aren't exactly role models for diversity. So that gives you an idea of what a media organization looks like to him. And as I've always heard, When a person gets a certain age, they tend to get set in their ways. So, I really wonder what convinced Soon-Shong that, yeah, Norm's the go-to guy for diversity. The decision to appoint Pearlstein executive editor bothered some of the staff, too. They were skeptical about how thorough the search for someone else had really been. So, almost a year goes by. It's May, 2019, but there still wasn't as much color in the newsroom as some expected. So some of the reporters decided to help Pearlstein with what he committed to do. They gave him a list of potential candidates, which turned out to be a waste of their time. At least four people On that list, told Vice no one ever contacted them about a job. And several said they would have been interested. When Vice asked Pearlstein about it, guess what he said? I got a lot of lists. You happen to have found one of many. And I spoke to a lot of people. So soon Sean and Pearlstein are painting this picture where they searched, but unfortunately people didn't want to be associated with the LA Times, right? Let me give you one reason I'm not sold. And I'm not even going to tell you. I'm going to let soon Showing tell you.
2: And what's exciting is uh, we're getting calls now, unsolicited calls uh, from some of the top editors um, in the nation saying they're really interested in considering talking to us.
0: So you might say, oh, well, he said that they were interested in talking to us, but they never said they wanted to work with us for sure. True, he didn't say that. But Frank Buckley pressed the issue. Listen to what he asked. (laughs)
1: But you you are getting interested in energy that's coming.
2: Amazing energy, and it's very, very um, um, fulfilling to know that, in fact, um, people do believe that this can be resurrected, and it will be. People do believe that this can be resurrected, and
0: it will be. Okay. Amazing energy, and people believe this can be resurrected. So the issue was not that this billionaire could not close a deal for top leadership. Apparently, something else was going on that Pearlstein had to take the job. And later, both he and Soon-Shong had to come up with these stories of how they just could not find anyone else that was willing to take the job. Anyway... The storyline is the L.A. time is having problems finding diverse candidates to work in the newsroom. But during this time, the paper went on a hiring spree, Vice reported. Staff members, at least some staff members, were upset by the number of white candidates that they saw coming in and out of the newsroom applying for jobs. Now, here's the thing that you got to think about when you think about the availability of white talent. The LA Times did a pay study and its own findings were that in 2018, the newsroom was 61% white. The white population in, in LA County was only 27%. The Latino population was 48%. Yet Latinos only made up about 15% of the newsroom. Our newsroom does not reflect the region we serve. That's what the study concluded. Now, Soon Chung was well aware of the situation that he was inheriting. Listen to what happens when Frank Buckley asked him not only about staff, but the public's Concern about the lack of diversity at the paper.
1: I think uh, a couple of the criticisms that one hears in the community about the L.A. Times: one, it isn't always responsive to the community, and two, isn't reflective of the community and the diversity of our community. Would you agree with those
2: criticisms, and what would you do about that? To to a degree, I would. I think uh, one of the things that we about to launch is L.A. Times Espanol. We have the largest Hispanic population, but a very few um, journalists. Um, We have a large Korean population. Somebody tells me it's one of the biggest Korean populations outside of Seoul. Uh, We have large Asian population. Uh, And so the opportunity for us to really get into the community and actually provide information of interest to that community is really an opportunity that Washington Post doesn't have, maybe New York Times uh, closer uh, we have this large demographic and amazing uh, market to address.
0: And Pearlstein also admitted the LA Times has some serious race issues. He wrote a piece in the paper that said the LA Times instigated hysteria that led to Japanese-American incarceration, the Zoot Suit riots, redlining and racial covenants, and that it had turned a blind eye to generations of police abuses against minority communities. Quote, at its worst, our coverage didn't simply ignore people of color, it actively dehumanized them, Pearlstein said. Yet under his leadership, under Sun Chong's ownership, these issues have continued. In fact, in June, the day they met with staff, the L.A. Times wrote a story about George Floyd, the protest. The title was, Looters Who Hit L.A. Stores Explain What They Did, Quote, Get My Portion. And it had a picture of a black man. Once again, talent was apparently scarce because Vice pointed out that the sole expert quoted in this piece about the George Floyd protests was a Scottish Scottish professor who specializes in crowd psychology. After that story ran, Pearlstein had an interview with PBS. He said over the past week, the staff had debated the use of the word looting to describe the destruction of property. And he said black journalists, quote, frankly, educated the rest of us to the fact that looting had a pejorative racist connotation. End quote. Um, this is a near legendary journalist who was now like 77 years old. And he needed to be taught that looting has a negative tone. Even if you just want to give Norm just a little benefit of the doubt that maybe he hadn't thought about it that way, you can't overlook that he said the topic was debated for days. And he, a man with 50 plus years in media, needed to be educated as if he didn't have the ability to be like, well, now that you mention it, It is rare to see that word associated with white people. And then there's the toxic behavior that festered under Pearlstein's leadership. For example, Vice reported that Colin Crawford, who ran the photo and video department, had a reputation for managing by fear and intimidation. And it was widely known that he treated women inappropriately. One woman said Crawford touched her in a highly inappropriate way on numerous occasions. But since there was no witnesses, she didn't report it at first. But Crawford allegedly got so bold that he put his hand down her shirt in front of other colleagues at a staff gathering. At least one person confirmed that incident. But Crawford wasn't punished. The woman was punished by receiving lower level assignments. Another woman, an award-winning photographer, had similar experiences with Crawford. She didn't report them to HR. HR reached out to her because, as I said, it was widely known that Crawford had these issues with women. The result is Crawford was sent to management school bullshit apparently what he learned was more intense intimidation tactics because when he got back the woman said things got worse and she eventually left the paper she said there was just no way i could continue he was just making my life miserable staffers like with an s meaning a group of people wrote a complaint urging the paper to investigate Crawford for his treatment of women, for bullying, for intimidation, and for overall conduct that they said put his interests, his personal interests, ahead of the L.A. Times. That appeal was written in June anonymously because the staff feared the blowback if he knew who they were. It wasn't until December when these issues arose again. That the investigation finally started. A year after that complaint. In June 2019. Crawford just abruptly retired. Just decided to hang up his belt. He's gone. And of course for people who watched this man. Allegedly mistreat and harass people for years. It was like a slap in the face that he just walked away. No punishment. Reputation intact. When asked about it, Pearlstein refused to discuss the matter with Vice because it was a personnel issue. Then there was Tracy Boucher who ran the Minority Editorial Training Program, also known as METPRO. This program was supposed to build a pipeline and provide opportunities for journalists of color. Instead, Insiders described it as being, quote, exploitive, a pipeline of low-wage workers who contended with depressed wages and who feel like, quote, second-class journalists. Boucher ran Metpro from 2011 until June of this year. The way she managed was considered demeaning and the program was described as demeaning. It was only after an email in the wake of the George Floyd protest where she wrote and told staff, quote, if you're unable or unwilling to follow the guidelines, I respect that we can arrange for your last day to be a bit sooner than originally planned, End quote. It was after that that she admitted that she went too far and she apologized for sounding threatening. So she left METPRO, but reportedly she continues to manage interns. And since soon Sean claims LA Times journalists don't do it for the money, I guess that's why the paper established a habit of giving most of the money to the white staff, especially white men. According to that pay study that I told you about earlier, the pay gaps averaged between men and women, $19,000 between white and non-white employees, and $31,000 between white men and non-white women. Granted, those salary gaps were in place when Sunshon was taking over the paper, but Pay disparities continued afterwards. Hector Becerra, the Times City Editor, reportedly asked Pearlstein to consider giving Angel Jennings. She was the only Black Metro reporter at the time. He asked Pearlstein to give her a raise, and he described her pay as shameful for anyone with her experience. Pearlstein acknowledged Her low pay. But he didn't raise it. He acted like his hands was tied because the paper was in the midst of negotiating a union contract. But Jennings found out that Pearlstein was giving raises to people who received job offers. So she went and asked for a raise for her damn self. Pearlstein admitted to Vice that he did give raises to others, but not Jennings. He said the staff was getting poached, so he paid some to stay. But given the negotiations with the union, they couldn't give raises to everyone. Bullshit. Three journalists at the LA Times, including Jennings, have filed a lawsuit for long-term pay disparities against women and minority journalists. Not only were women and people of color unfairly paid, they reported that they received fewer opportunities than white men, their social media was policed differently, and they didn't get the same recognition and respect. For example, in April, three women of color, including Jennings, had bylines on the front page of a Sunday edition. Perlstein sent out an email expressing his pleasure with how well the edition had gone. But he praised three white men by name. Now, looking back, Perlstein said, I've been slow to understand the pain that accompanies feeling ignored, whether intentional or inadvertent. You would think that by now I would have known better. But it's obvious that I didn't. Recently, Pearlstein also admitted that the LA Times had focused on a white subscriber base even as the city became majority non-white. They had not always followed through when journalists of color had applied for positions. And the paper had not done enough to recruit, promote, and retain a more diverse staff. And Furthermore, it had not placed enough journalists of color in leadership positions. On top of that, Pearlstein told PBS that there was a pattern of underrepresentation for a very long time in all of our publications in the US, but it has been especially true at the Los Angeles Times. And in a June 6th memo, he acknowledged that, quote, Many black journalists are still woefully underpaid compared to our white counterparts. I've replayed all of our hiring and covering decisions in my mind, and I've been taking a hard look in the mirror. What went wrong? With the benefits of hindsight, I realized that hiring people of color was always a priority, but it was never the priority, Pearlstein told his staff. And that right there, this is all part of that thing that I was talking about earlier. Pearlstein portrays this image that he is taking a deep look at himself and at the paper he runs. Under his watch, there's been meetings, bullshit, workshops, bullshit, trainings. Bullshit. Where is the money? Where are the damn jobs for the women and people of color? Where are the real solutions? Where is the accountability? Acknowledging blind spots when you're perched on top of a mountain does nothing for me. I don't know about y'all. Look at METPRO. That so-called pipeline for color journalists was established over 35 years ago and it hasn't produced a diverse team yet. It's shameful that in 2020, June 2020, the LA Times Guild felt the pressing need to send soon Shung a letter. In that letter, staff members wrote, we don't have enough black journalists, or more broadly journalists of color to cover our overwhelmingly diverse city, state and nation with appropriate insight and sensitivity. And most of us who do work here are often ignored, marginalized, undervalued, and left to drift along career paths that leave little opportunity for advancement. Meanwhile, we're hearing the same empty promises and seeing the same foot dragging from management. Remember, Sunshon was the champion the man who came talking about diversity and building greatness. And I thank God that this well-educated man with some kindness in who wants to do just that. But under his ownership, the LA Times has carried on a legacy of discrimination, harassment, and mistreatment. Now, once again, some of you may call for benefit of the doubt. Maybe he doesn't want to micromanage, you might say. Maybe he wants to give Pearlstein room to do his thing. And to his credit, Soon-Shong did say at the beginning that he was going to be hands-off and mostly allow Pearlstein to run the newsroom. Still, it's unacceptable. He's complicit, and he knows it. And do you know how i know that he knows it because the letter from the guild reminded him of words that he wrote in the la times he was recalling his time in south africa during apartheid and he said quote we cannot be bystanders and enablers in crisis soon chong knows Full well, it's unacceptable to stand back and watch people be mistreated, regardless of any chain of command, regardless of whether that's actually your day job and you hired someone else. It is unacceptable. But words to words, folks. And there are plenty of times when what a person says is much different from what a person shows us. Since we're not fortune tellers, we have the choice of being either optimists or pessimists. And I'm not optimistic that the LA Times is going to rise to glory and become a diverse and racially aware publication anytime soon. One reason that I feel that way is because during Pearlstein's PBS interview, he described his staff as having passionate conversations about these issues. Passionate. That's another one of those comments that can slide past some people. But look around. Who do you know that's tethered to the protests, to the demands for change, to the calls for justice that you would describe as passionately discussing the issues? Pearlstein is a minimizer. Pearlstein is a person who has put on noise-canceling headphones and is watching the scene from far away. And that distance between him and reality, it's intentional. You can bet the farm on it. But here's the thing. Pearlstein's contract runs through 2021. So what happens at that time if he's not Relieved of his duties before that time will be very telling. Because here's something about Sun Shong as he describes himself. Listen.
2: My uh, pure goal is outcomes. I'm interested in outcomes. I'm a surgeon, like a fighter pilot. We we we're, we're just interested in outcomes. Bullshit.
0: Outcomes. Mm-hmm. Okay we heard him but if pearlstein is still around after his contract ends in 2021 if the diversity situation hasn't become diverse if pay is not adjusted then we know that suncheng was never really about what he said he was about he never really wanted a diverse team to lead his paper. Because no one can convince me that in three years, he couldn't find a replacement and he could not find talent to bring into his paper. But time will tell. Meanwhile, there's something else we need to talk about. It is painful, absolutely agonizing to hear these stories of people who tolerate mistreatment and discrimination for a name, like the LA Times. That's what's happening at that paper. Michael Livingston worked in METPRO and although he was reportedly one of those who was demeaned and berated, he was struck by the star power in his mind. He felt isolated, He said he lost confidence in himself and he even started struggling with depression and during that time do you know what he was telling himself he was thinking it's gotta be something wrong with me because this is the los angeles times that's what he told vice this certainly won't be the last time you hear this from me but folks please understand that the only time a name is important is when it benefits you. Don't endure abuse just to link yourself to a name that isn't yours. Please stop getting caught up in other people's clout. If saying that you've worked or currently work at the LA Times gets you a better role or more money from the next source, that's outstanding. But to be so impressed with your employer's name that you're willing to tolerate mistreatment, discrimination, and unfair payment, that's disturbing. That's really extremely hard to swallow. It's like being on a plantation and bragging that your master's plantation is the biggest, the best. And meanwhile, you're in the field wearing rags and eating scraps like every other field worker in the region. When we know better, we just have to do better. That's all I'm going to say about that. Look, I won't tell you what to think, but I will tell you what to think about Until next time, folks.